Greetings, and welcome to the RPG Review Board Podcast. You're listening to Episode 18. In this episode, the board administers their righteous judgment upon Atomic Highway. Designed by Colin Chapman and published in 2009 by Radioactive Ape, now under license and distribution by Gallant Knight Games. Atomic Highway's V6 engine gives players a fast and fun rule set to run a game set in the post-apocalypse, a.k.a. Popok. Join us as the board convenes in support of the betterment of tabletop gaming. Come now, the honorable representatives of the RPG Review Board. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, all rise. The RPG Review Board is now in session. My name is John Case Tompkins. I'm joined by Heidi Faith, Trey Gordon, Adam Lawson, and Nathan Stanley. If the judgment of this court helps you find a new game, help us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcast. Lady and gentlemen, hello, we're back, and we are going to talk about some post-apocalyptic gaming today. But first, how is everybody doing? Actually, you know what? I think I'm going to go first with this little portion because I have to tell you, I'm feeling a lot of guilt. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit left out in the cold from my family. I am apparently insufficiently a fan of Star Wars. So, <laughs> and it's it's causing some tension because I expressed the opinion that I had seen the, um, God, one of the ones with the, the is it the Mandalorian? Oh, you're all. He's got like a bad start. He's got like a big one, helmet. One. You never see his face. Okay. What are we anyway. doing with this guy? <laughs> yeah. yeah that's anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I said, well, I saw the first episode and it was okay, and I saw the second one and it was okay, and then I watched the third one. And it's like, okay, I, I get it. I, I know what happens. I don't need to see the rest of the show. And this was apparently, uh, yeah, this was pan- uh, tantamount to making baby Jesus cry. So, uh. yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm in. I'm in some trouble. I'm, I've I've apparently not expressed sufficient enthusiasm for Star Wars. Yeah, and I need to bring it back. But um, yeah, it's tough. So, do you not find the Baby Yoda the most adorable little creature in the universe? I mean, he's kind of cute, but like, <laughs> I don't know. I I, I, I I mean I like the I like the source material that it's, it you clearly monster. is is riffing off <laughs> Lone Wolf and Cub. Lone Wolf and Cub is great. So, but I was I was specifically excoriated for the like feeling like I'd seen the whole thing and didn't need to see it, and like I saw three episodes. I, I think I figured it out, but uh, yeah, apparently that was the wrong thing to say. But I'll tell you what I did do this weekend was watch the new Macbeth with Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. And that that was genius. Mm. And I have seen that play or movie countless times. So it's not that I know what happens, you know, because I know what happens in that. I don't know. I think I'm just probably a snob. And that's my problem. Well, this this is the interesting thing about fandom. When fandom runs really deep, uh-huh. it either has to be one extreme or the other. And sometimes we have to just admit to ourselves that sometimes it's just fine. It's fine. Yeah. Baby Yoda's fine. He's fine. Yes, whatever. 
like it doesn't have to be the best thing or the worst thing right like yeah. star wars and star treks like the sharks and the jets like yeah. sometimes it's like yeah both of them the are fine they're fine they're fine when yeah. you're a jet you're yeah. <laughs> start, like, snapping, uh, dancing. yeah but but for some reason when the <laughs> fandom runs so deep and you have to be all in or all out yeah. sometimes like it's okay to just be fine yeah. well and and there are people on this podcast who are star trek fans like mr nathan stanley how are you doing sir I am great. The The thing that I have done slash learned since last time we recorded is I found out that Adam is more forgiving of your lack of Star Wars enthusiasm than I am. That's, oh, that's really? what I found out. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, we'll, wow. Yeah. There'll, there'll be some discussions later, I'm sure. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Burn me yeah, an effigy. Uh, 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 well, listen, I'll give you, I'll give you emails and uh, contact information for my family and you can <laughs> express to them the truth, yes. you know. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll help you write your letter of apology. How's that? There we go. Yeah. There we go. There uh, we go. Well, yeah, Star Wars since I need someone here to forgive me, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, I'm an easy out. I yeah. Uh, I'll let you off the hook here. <laughs> Um, so I'm I'm sitting here and I'm recording this in my uh, in my office at my desk and I'm looking at my page a day calendar. So the thing that's really been uh, exciting for me every morning when I grab my coffee and I sit down at my home office to work each morning I have a page a day in this RPG calendar that I've that I've got. You get just just this little encounter. You roll some dice and you figure out how the story progresses, and it's really interesting. Like today, uh, this family comes up and says, "Help us find our kids," and then you roll your investigation check and. Then you look on the back of the page and find out, you know, what happens when you did your search. And then the next day you've got a new encounter. So it's not a lot of time consuming, but it's just a fun way to do just a little bit of RPG every day. And so I can promise myself that I'm always chucking at least one die every day. Hmm. I I am silent. So this is like one of those 365 tear off a page every single That's day. That's right. Yeah. I'm yeah. simultaneously you know envious. Uh, Sundial Games, I think, is what it's called. Yeah, Sundial um, Games. Yeah, I am both envious yeah. and also like, I don't know. I feel like I'm looking at someone who's farther down the nerd hole than I am. It's <laughs> like, oh, you know, that could be me. <laughs> like it's revulsion mixed with mixed with respect, with right? admiration. Yeah, yeah it's hard exactly. To, far to figure out. <laughs> yeah, usually, usually when I look at Adam, I think I could be that in five years. well now here's the thing though adam has this calendar which i am envious of and also slightly like what would that say about me but i'm the one who currently has as a shower curtain a dungeon map so (laughs) nice yeah maybe pot i would like to introduce you to the kettle (laughs) Oh, yeah, man. you're such a nerd, Adam. Nerd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to Hypocrisy, the podcast. <laughs> we'll be your hosts. <laughs> well, uh, but but one of one among us remains uh, faithful to her her true identity. And that's Heidi Faith. Heidi, how you doing? <laughs> I am doing well. Doing very well. I miss you guys. I haven't seen you in person for a few weeks. I was uh, out a little, little sick, so um, it's all been virtual world for me lately. Yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't COVID. Nope. It's it just like up leprosy or something. Just good old fashioned sick. <laughs> well, you're radiant now. You seem to have bounced back admirably. 
Yes. Yeah, just yeah. diphtheria or something, right? Malaria. Just yeah. So, well, it's I know it's so yeah. If you I get allergies and it's always I'm so like nervous anytime if I sneeze or if I'm sniffly. I'm like I'm, it's not COVID. It's just me. I just have a lot of allergies. <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I want to. I want to go back to some old, like you know, like eighteenth, nineteenth century definitions. Like, just be, I want to be down with the vapors. You know. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> just pass out. Oh lordy, like, oh, lordy. Oh, lordy. Oh, lordy. <laughs> Poor Casey yeah. was carried off by a severe chill. Chill. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Right. Yeah, a malaise. Uh, <laughs> Well, we're glad you are feeling better. Yeah, um, it's been good. Been good. So, good. And uh, Trey, how are you doing? Well, I'm fine. I, in fact, something wonderful happened to me today. I had to shovel the walk. It was the most amazing. Yeah, so, okay. Oh, so, no. Are you one of those people who likes snow? I, listen, I grew up in a place where we didn't get much snow. We got snow like once every three years and it was this light dusting and everything shut down and it was great. And we ran out into the yard and played all day long. Snow has always just really pressed all of my happy buttons. And I feel like this is deeper than the Star Trek Star Wars <laughs> divide right here. The people who don't like snow versus the people who do pro snow people. Mm. That's right. I'm an East Texas boy among Hoosiers. Ah. And... and Nothing is better than being able to go out there and like just scoop the walk just so, so that the sides are nice and crisp and straight. And it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I will never say I'm sorry. Everyone looks at me like I'm nuts, but it's, (laughs) it's a wonderful thing. Dear listeners at home, I cannot adequately describe the fierce joy on Trey's face right now. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. And the, and the confused and puzzled expressions on the rest I of us. I think he might actually be happy about this. It's, <laughs> it's like I'm being allowed to build part of Wonderland. <laughs> I, I feel, okay, I'm curious because you have a theater background, right? So you often probably work also with like sets, either sure, building absolutely. or like... You do a lot. So I'm curious. I wonder if there's something tied into that, just the imagination. Like, I get to build this, like, thing. I get to, like, shovel my drive and shape it and make Maybe. it look a certain Maybe. way. I don't know. I don't know. Listen, Why? all I know is the next time we get a real heavy snow, I'm just going to, like, don't hey, Trey, you want to come over and help me uh, shovel my, my rock? <laughs> if you're making the hot cocoa, I am there. Oh, See, there we goodness. go. There we go. All right. Yes. Well, uh, speaking of Wonderlands, we're not going to talk about that at all. We're actually going to talk about something horrible and uh, dusty and, you know, deprived of all of uh, the pleasures and comforts of civilization, including things like snow shovels, because we have been playing a game called Atomic Highway, and it is a set in the post-apocalyptic future. I'm going to let Adam talk about it that in just a minute, but I, I thought I would share with you guys. I ran a little poll over on the, the RPG Review Board mm-hmm. Twitter and said, hey, we have this shortened version for science fiction, right? We say sci-fi. Post-apocalypse is more of a mouthful. Why don't we have anything for that? And so I solicited suggestions for what it, what should be the shortened 
version of post-apocalyptic fiction. And sounds a bit like post-op, my doesn't favorite, it? my favorite response was Popok, 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 Popok. We'll just keep saying it, Popok. Now, Nathan, you haven't said it. Go ahead, Popok. Go ahead and get one in, Popok, <laughs> Popok. We're gonna make Popok happen. It's the one that I think is most delightful off of the tongue. So spell anyway. it for me, would you? Po P O dash Pock P O C Pock. Yeah, it's, it, like it's it. got it's got yeah it's got the great benefit that it will make like half of the fandom crazy because the apocalyptic doesn't start with a P. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No. Yes. It's taking a middle section of the word. That's yeah. It'll. Yeah. It'll. It'll be like the gif gif jif thing but yeah it's, uh, <laughs> but yeah squabble about it endlessly and it'll give us so much to talk about yeah it's but gonna it be does good. earn points and alliterative bounciness popop yeah mm-hmm. I, I yeah. like yeah. it oh, i like it i think it needs to become like a thing like oh you wouldn't get it it's a popock thing so it's a popock thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's kind of it's popock fiction it's or popock light you know yeah you can go all sorts of places with it i'm in i'm in yeah yeah uh so now that we know what to call it adam can you tell us a little bit about this Popok game, Atomic Highway. Sure, yeah. So Atomic Highway, written and designed by Colin Chapman uh, with Radioactive Ape Designs. And that is his design studio. It was originally published by Capera Publishing. Now the publishing rights are in Gallant Night Games' hands. Listeners of this podcast may recall Gallant Night Games also is the publisher of Tiny Supers and other tiny flagship uh, games. All they do is do the distribution. And right now the best way to get it is through Drive RPG and if you can afford the low, low price of zero dollars, you can get your hand on a copy. Yeah, I think so that's that's, uh... that's worth that's worth mentioning right off the top. And I, where I hit some 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 poor language for Gallant Night last time, but I will not have that this time. This is it's hard to argue with free. That's right. You can get away with a lot of stuff for free, and these guys did not skimp on it. So, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. I want to first start by mentioning this is the first time that we together as a group have played a post-apocalyptic, a popoc, if you will. We will. Genre game. And this genre is well represented in this field. I mean, Trey, wasn't it's like the third RP TSR game was Gamma World? Am I correct? Probably. Yeah, it was yeah. very early. Yeah. Very, very early. Um, it wouldn't have been the third, you know, there, there was one game before Dungeons and Dragons and it, it's yeah. complicated, but yeah, it was, it was very early. Very early on. Yeah. But I'm just like, in general, what do you guys like, dislike about this kind of the genre as a setting? And then in more specific, like, what did you think of the way that Atomic Highway handled the setting? I ran the game and I didn't get to experience anything from the player side. But one of the things that I think I wish I had done more of when we were playing our session was really like do more of the scavenging aspect of it i think like a lot of times when you're playing rpgs your inventory is just a whole bunch of notes scribbled on post-its and on your paper and all over the place and you don't really think about that you have four pieces of chalk or whatever right um in a post-apocalyptic setting everything is important every little thing down to the your four jean shorts or whatever it is that nathan rolled <laughs> with his character. Uh, two skirts two skirts thank you very two much. skirts <laughs> or yeah. something but it's it's just it makes getting just your hands on any one piece of inventory really interesting and compelling and when you go into certain buildings every success that you roll you get to roll on these tables and uh, i was curious not only you know as case was saying just popok in general but uh <laughs> the idea of just like randomly rolling and figuring out what you get what, what we sort of thought of that it reminded me a little bit of uh, just a little bit of the there, there was a 
flowchart that you could that you could follow in Gamma World to try to figure out old technology. And that could go very badly for you sometimes. But it reminded me of that a little bit. I, I don't know. I, I really like that. I like anything that makes some aspect of the character sheet more interesting, more precious. And yeah, when, when your equipment is more like, oh yeah, I guess, do I still have those seven rations? We haven't really been keeping track of rations. Like, Mm. You know, if it's not important um, enough to track, then it's not really a big part of the game. But in a game like this, you do, or at least theoretically, you have this kind of scarcity that's built into the system. And that makes the finding of treasure really interesting, even if treasure is just like, oh, look, a pair of shoes in my size, you know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, the, the, the kinds of stuff that you get are so off base and strange for instance nathan got two skirts that you've got these weird odds and ends and i think it could encourage some real creativity you know if if we had been caught in a dust storm or something and we're having to make rolls to see if we were overcome and nathan said i got these two skirts and he tore them into strips and we wrapped them around our faces you know there we go. Yeah, and and those and those items really are very random. Other notable items from my character sheet included a toilet seat lid and a couple garden trowels as well. I forgot yeah, about the so. toilet seat lid. Yeah. Uh. That was the best one. <laughs> I still have these mental images of you wearing it around your neck like you did, and yeah, I, oh, can't, yeah, I can't get it out of me. Yeah. Well, okay, and Heidi, what do you what do you think about post-apocalyptic? I love it. Um, yeah, po- I sorry. Um, po- correction, po- sir. Popok. Po- po- <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm sorry. the Popok police. If, yeah, the only you got to be in the know, I guess. But whatever. Um, Nathan, Nathan, nerd. Nathan. I think I broke Nathan. <laughs> so, wait, wait, wait. Am I? The, you're the Popok. So this makes you the Popok Popo. Like, what's wrong? Oh, with no. <laughs> How do I unsubscribe oh, from this podcast? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, officer. Oh Lord, you've already <laughs> taken right it too here. far. Um, no, like, so I, I really enjoyed this game. We didn't get a a huge chance to get into it too much. You know, uh, we only played through it a few times for, you know, efficiency. Well, you were sick. Well, but I still (laughs) came in, you know, virtually, but, um, but I've said this before, I really do enjoy any of these kind of games like Savage Worlds, this kind of cinematic you know, you know, things like that. For me, I identify really well uh, when you can visually kind of like picture it and kind of get into it that way. It, I think it helps me tremendously. And I love a good Popok or dystopian <laughs> story. I like that stuff. Yeah, like I like I like, you know, your Mad Max movies, like that kind of stuff. Love it. I'm one of the few people I know that actually enjoys Waterworld. Right? I wow. love it. Yeah, I know. I know. You it's, really are a unicorn. It's god awful, but I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, this was super fun. I, I enjoyed this setting very much, and I hope that we can kind of return to it at some point. I think that would be cool. Popok settings uh, <laughs> are very much, they're very similar to any other sort of like what, even The Walking Dead, for example. Whatever it is that's going on sort of in the environment that every faction has to deal with, in addition to having to also deal with those other factions. Right. Sometimes it's zombies, or sometimes it's the fact that, you know, the, the sun has, we're no ozone layer 
or whatever it is, or just generally the scarcity of goods and services and fuel and all of this thing. It's like one of those things that just makes every decision that you make really critical to say, should we go adventuring? That's a lot of resources, you know? And so it's a lot of risk and a lot of resources. And so it kind of, kind of puts you in this mode where every decision that you make has this amped up criticality. Oh yeah. Well, and it, it, it focuses on the kind of, or it can focuses on the focus on the kind of logistics aspect of gaming where you're looking at, here's what I have. Here's what we need to accomplish. How can we make that work? But, but let's, let's shift a little bit of gear here because I want to talk about the specific uh, mechanics of, of this game. So this game is called Atomic Highway, which definitely suggests that Mad Max feel. And there are vehicle combat rules, which I really appreciate. The engine is, so you're rolling six-sided die. And Adam and, and Nathan, can you guys can you guys go into the, the mechanics there, the V6 engine mechanics a little bit? Worth worth noting is that this this engine drives your character creation and your dice resolution rules, and it's the only game. A cursory search of the uh, RPG Geek says it's the only game that runs on this engine. But basically, the way it works is that it informs your character creation and your dice resolution mechanics. Character has a set of attributes, and he also has a, he or she has an, uh, a set of skills. You roll a number of six-sided dice equal to the attribute score that applies, and you're looking for sixes. A naturally rolled six explodes, and you just keep getting to roll it until it stops rolling a six. If you're short of a natural six on any of those dice, you use the value of the ap applicable skill to add to that. So if you roll a natural four, and if you have a skill of two or more, you can buy up that four to the six that you need to make the success. Typically, you're looking for one success. Sometimes more challenging things need more than one success. So you're rolling a handful of dice. That's your attribute number, and you're adding to those pips uh, a number equal to your skill that's applicable. So sometimes you might be able to finagle the dice math to uh, create more than one success if you add your pips accordingly. But ultimately, that's that's how it works. Yeah, it's, it's pretty straightforward. And, and Nathan, what uh, talk to us about the numbers there. Like, what does that mean as far as player success? Yeah, so um, the applicable skill score that you have, so like driving or brawl or whatever, those kind of follow the same sort of math that you would expect from like an attack bonus from from Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or and the other where you roll a die and you add some numbers to it, right? So each additional point in that skill is going to give you a, like a flat percentage. So in this case, because we're rolling d6s, you're going to get about 16% better of a chance of success for each skill point that you have. And the interesting part is kind of the break-even points where, at least for a target of one success, if you have a one in the mutant score which is kind of makes means that it's your dump stat right it's like and you have two in the skill you still have a 50 50 shot of success because of how that probability works out if you have a two in your mutant score that 50 50 shot only requires one in the skill and if you have a two in the mutant score and a two in the skill you have an entire 75 percent chance of likelihood of achieving a success so one success doesn't take a whole lot in this game to achieve now that being said i think we rolled plenty of times and not and didn't get too many successes so right um <laughs> So, uh, as, as always, uh, the probabilities work out in the long run, but in the short run, it is still very easy to, to roll and, and end up swinging and missing. So we're probably unusually hapless. <laughs> yeah. So there were, there were plenty of times when, uh, when, uh, we gave something a good old Hoosier try and, uh, 
and it came up came up lacking. Yeah, so. The Popop gods did not smile upon me. Yeah, very much so, yeah. No, now, no. there's an appendix here that, that lists out some probabilities, but you, you found them to be wanting, right? Well, I wouldn't say wanting, just uh, maybe a, a little misleading unless you're paying very close attention, which is the percentages listed in the appendix are specifically to to get that exact result. So, for oh. example, the percentage listed is for a mutant score of two and a skill of one and getting exactly two results, not at least two. And I find oh. the at least mm. to be a little bit more useful, at least for yeah. for our purposes, right? Because you're trying to get one success. You don't really care if you get two or three successes. You just want to mm-hmm. get that one at least, right? With the right. notable exception of uh, attacks because of how damage works. you You definitely want as many successes as you can get. Yeah, you do. Well, and this was a this is a kind of a vicious game. Uh, but I want to get back to let me get put a pin in combat. I want to get back to something that uh, Nathan mentioned earlier. So uh, I have already said this game is called Atomic Highway V Six Engine, right? Which suggests automotives, and so it, it definitely has that like, hey, we're doing a Mad Max thing uh, feel. But then you get to your actual creation of your character. And your stats are, there are seven of them. They are muscle, understanding, tenacity, appeal, nimbleness, toughness, and senses, which spells out uh, in acronym mutants. And <laughs> so on the one hand, it's a little, what? how did you put it with Troika, Heidi? It's a little try hard. It's yeah. like you, you had to work. Yeah. Like to me, well, and also too, I'm like, okay, what is, where are we going with that? Why? I mean, I think that putting the mutant stuff, like, you know, it it can be fun, but I wasn't sure why, if we're, if we're going so heavy and hard for the, uh, you know, the dystopian kind of Mad Max world, what, what, what's with the mutants? Is this supposed to be because of like some radiation spill, you know, like why is that what we're going for? I don't, I don't. I don't know. I felt it felt yeah. a little silly, but I will give it this. That kind of stuff can often be a little campy, right? Like it, sure, it can true. be a little. I mean, you okay? Mad Max again, Fury Road. That's ridiculous, right? Like you watch that movie, like okay, you've got a guy on the front of a vehicle playing guitar, like with firebombs, whatever going off. Like it's insane, right? So it's <laughs> it's a little like. All right, I guess we're just in it. You know, it may like, be a little over the top. We did. Yeah. What I always like about Mad Max is that, like, you know, some waste, some nuclear, or some some sort of great disaster has ruined humanity and destroyed commerce and all this sort of stuff. Like shopping malls have been laid waste, but apparently, all of the fetish shops were fine. <laughs> so. So, like, they didn't get hit by the bomb, and so that's why everyone's wearing rubber and corsets and, like, masks. It's like, I guess maybe rubber just lasts longer in the post-apocalyptic way. My ball gag is still here. Thank God. This was was my grandmother's ball gag and her mother before her. Oh, God. That's going to get sound clipped. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, don't know how that worked out, but like, it's just one of those things. It's like, okay, fine, you know, yeah. it's part of the, but 
Yeah, Adam, you. I think you told us that <laughs> that mutants are optional in the rules, right? Yes. So you don't have to play as mutants. In fact, during the character creation, it very much says if you choose to play a mutant, here are the rules for it. But it is interesting that you know your your attributes spell out mutants as an acronym. But I think that does a couple of things. The first is that it ties it back to Fallout, which is very universally known. Fallout's attributes spell out special. Um, and so this spells out a word as well. The word happens to be mutants. And I think it ties it to Fallout, which is another Popok uh, game. But it also helps to communicate like that the game doesn't have to take itself all that seriously. As terrible as post-apocalypse might be, uh, you just go out there and have fun and play rock guitar on on top of a um, diesel <laughs> yes, engine truck or something is that it, it's supposed to kind of be it, it's allowed i guess not supposed to but it's allowed to be a little silly as well so i think those are the sort of the two purposes that that serves so why, why would they want to draw parallels with fallout i mean j- just because it's in the same genre i mean yeah yeah i think um i don't know that they were going for that it's just something oh, that i, I noticed so i shouldn't put my my words in in their mouth but just the idea that this is a post-apocalyptic game, as is Fallout. And so if you're familiar with Fallout, with many, which many people are, this is a sort of a natural understanding of your skill All allocation. Right. And I am not that familiar with Fallout, but I one of the things that makes Fallout distinctive is that it has layered on top of its grimy, dirty, post-apocalyptic world is this 50s kind of retro-future aesthetic that was supposed to be the future everyone was hoping for before the world ended. And yeah, so it's cars and it, yeah. personal butler robots and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the less I say about that, the better, because I just don't under, like, I don't know those games very well at all. But yeah, there is a kind of, um, I mean, this, this game just doesn't take itself that seriously. Right. And he, here's me trying to interpret Nathan's discussion of math because I'm a, a nerd on the other end. I, I believe the, the long and the short is that if you're good in a particular area, you're going to pretty much succeed quite a bit, right? Yeah, I would say just kind of looking at the numbers, like uh, your mutant score will have a much more dramatic effect on your chances of success than your skill will. Where your skill is really useful is in collecting those additional successes right turning two fives into two sixes that sort of thing but you know a a point in a skill won't do nearly as much as a point in a mutant score which you know makes a lot of sense given that mutant scores are a lot harder to to increase and you know they're they're more of a core to the character much like your ability scores in dungeons and dragons and pathfinder etc and any other game yeah it's probably worth mentioning that raising a stat uh experience in this is just um it's kind of a point by you get xp you spend it on skills or uh attributes and and raise them in that way let's probably round up character creation because it's worth saying that your character is these stats and then a rearing in a pursuit and a rearing is like a background right yeah yeah and a pursuit's kind of like a kind of like a class but basically what they do are there's there's these little packages and each package you're rearing which is where you were and uh, your pursuit, which is where you're headed, and you've got these little packages that give you certain, like, set your skill values to certain things, and they give you some gear, and they basically start to assemble your character more 
specifically towards where you're headed. So you might pick, am I a barter towner or a raider or, or you know, something else? And they give you skills that are applicable to that package. And then at the very end, you also have a handful of points that you can spend to just tailor it just specifically how you like. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty straightforward thing and you can mess with it to a certain degree. It's It's real simple. But yeah, you also get these fortune points that allow you, to, you can spend to like, they're a little bit like bennies from Savage Worlds or, or those sorts of things where you can you can use them to rescue yourself or do something cool or, or that. And there are things that the, the the GM gives out when when you were, you know, if you're doing something awesome or you're just role playing really well or he thinks you deserve one, right? Or whatever it is. I really felt those of you who are who are on the player side this time, I really felt like the character creation was simple and the character that was in front of me was simple enough that I could just like try stuff. I felt very in command of my character and ready to play and and try, you know, the sort of stunts that I think of when I think of something like Mad Max. What about, what about you guys? what do you think? Yeah, I thought so too. Much like Savage Worlds, you know, you, you, you feel like you can try things and that, Everything's not going to crash around your ears if you fail the roll, which is kind of nice. It sometimes felt to me, I mean, I very rarely didn't make a roll. You know, it did happen, but usually I got at least one success. You know, when I didn't, I had the skill points to spend. And, you know, the, the, the few times that I didn't make the roll, I just spent a fortune point on it, you know, because you don't want to... You don't want to save them because at the end of the session, you go back to default, right? So saving them is senseless. You want, you want to, they, they want to encourage you to use them because that's what makes things crazy, you know? Yeah, it just, so sometimes it felt like things were a little easy. I'll also kind of jump on that as well, like trying strange things. Uh, it should be noted that Trey and I were both playing Trogs, heavily mutated underground subterranean beasties oh yeah we, we were both, hideous yeah terrifying to look at my guy had a goiter it was it was fun so i had prehensile feet and uh and poisonous saliva uh and trey had a prehensile tail and spider climb so yeah. uh our first combat both of us were like climbing the wall and attacking them from the ceiling and stuff so oh, you yeah. know you could you could do all sorts of crazy things i think in this game and especially if you do decide to dive into some of those mutations, because some of them are just completely bonkers. So, oh, they're crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I think the game, much like some of the other games we've reviewed for this podcast, uh, does reward you for thinking a little outside the box and just just going for it. You know, it does that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Play, it does play that guitar on that big giant Mack truck. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Well, okay. So listen, since both of you, let's talk a little bit about mutations. Since both of you opted to be filthy mutants. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting. Yeah. So what, what did you think of the, of how you got to be the way you were like mutant wise and your powers and stuff like that? Obviously lots of fun, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. It was good fun. It, it also reminded me of Gamma World. Gamma World's mutations are in memory, at least, there were more of them, and they were a little crazier, but not much. Like, you know, you could, in this game, you could have wings instead of arms. You could be an obligate insectivore. 
you know, things that's like, okay, no human is ever going to evolve that trait. <laughs> it's not going to happen, no matter how much radiation, right? It's never going to happen. Uh, you could get a carapace, for crying out loud, and prehensile feet. Uh, so the, the sky's kind of the limit there. And, you know, you can reskin things if you want, you know, basically do just about anything you like. It added a nice spice to it. It was good fun. At least for my play style, and I'm sure everybody here knows, I like playing bonkers characters. Just stack those mutations on, baby. Give them to you. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. I love it. It's Absolutely. So much fun. It's one of the things that makes me hate you. So, yeah. No, uh-huh. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of the things about the mutations, though, is the game, more than Gamma World, seems to be going for this more of a Mad Max feel, right? Gamma World, the world fell into ruin at a much higher tech level. The the tech you could get in Gamma World was like combat robots and things like that. Whereas in this, it's not that far in the future when the world falls apart and you don't really have access to things that we don't have direct experience of. Garden trowels and toilet seats, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, So I guess this is not necessarily bad. The more I think about this the less bad it seems but it just those two the the mutations and the gritty kind of mad max theme don't seem to um didn't at the time seem to go that well together it seemed a little forced i'm not sure that that's now that i think about it it's interesting that there's that it's these two things right and mm-hmm. the name of the game is atomic highway the cover has got this tricked out like muscle car bristling with weapons right and so it definitely sells you on one one way of thinking about the post about the popok and then afterwards adam remind me isn't the the only supplement for this that's currently available is called what irradiated freaks yeah so (laughs) that's that's what i was gonna say you you've got uh if you want to head more towards your gamma world gonzo mutations there is a supplement for that and typically we try to keep our review focused just on the main game but it's important to note that that expansion also free so if you're clicking you might as well click another checkbox and get that too Exactly. You can also have mutated animals in this game, like you can in Gamble yeah, World. Yeah, yeah. Four characters. You can play as your badger man or your otter person. Or Absolutely. Uh, yes. Yeah. And you can also have psionics. So it's like this scattershot kind of thing. All And all these little subsystems are optional. So really it's kind of this sort of plug-and-play sort of, you know, make-your-own-apocalypse kind of thing. It's nice to see a game that gives you options you know as far as like what kind of apocalypse do you have do you want to have but it is kind of kind of strange that it's like well we're going mad max full tilt it's like well yeah but but the name of our stat system is called mutants like that's the acronym what are you doing there okay so we as players we enjoyed this it's fast it's fun it's deadly like heidi you and that axe were terrifying. See, this is where for me, because in reality, in, in real world, I tend to be very like, you know, it's nothing for me to, you know, I'm so, I'm clumsy. I'm, you know, I'm tim- I'm very like, oh, excuse me, excuse me, like with everything. So I love- You got that weird thing growing out of your face. <laughs> <laughs> 
I thought you were about to say that it's nothing for you to split a person from. from no, from no, head to foot I love with an axe. this. Is it's nothing for me. No, like I, it's nothing for me to just like run into something and be like, oh, like all the. I'm that person. I'm just like always. I'm like, where did that bruise come from? It's like, oh, I don't know. I did something. Like I ran it. Like I'm just clumsy and I'm just very like, oh, excuse me, excuse me, like. But so I love in these games getting to play these badass characters, right? That just and also circling back to the the rearings um, element of this game, I loved it because for my early development, I, I chose to be a feral. Yes. <laughs> so I was I was a feral child, just you know yeah. that was my thing. So there was an added just element of like she just she didn't she didn't know how to communicate or be with people really well, but she was really angry and didn't take took no guff. How's that? Yeah. You know? So so yeah, I had a, a couple games where I didn't roll so hot, but uh, one game in there I rolled beautifully. Mwah. Oh yeah. I yeah. Had an axe and it was just perfect. Like, yeah, you unseamed him from the nave to the chops. Yes. Hey, Macbeth's my thing. Leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, but I so I think we all had a good time. Uh, as I was mentioning earlier, you've got these fortune things that allow you to be like, "Hey, I'm going to try this crazy thing. I'm going to spend some fortune, make it happen." Adam, from the other side of the screen, what did you? What do you think about this in terms of like what it's like to run? And the the tools and systems that are available in the book to help you run a game, what was that like? Well, I thought reading through the rules was a real treat. I think it's written in a very conversational way. There were a handful of things that were a little frustrating. Working off of the PDF, Trey and I both noticed some like some grammatical and editing errors, like flamethrower, for example. Sometimes it's spelled with a hyphen. Sometimes it's spelled with a space. Control F in your PDF, you can't find it. Anyway. Other than that, it was a real treat to read. Um, and so consuming those rules was really quite quite easy. From the GM's perspective, they have a great section for GMs. There's four chapters in this cha- in this section, but they're really kind of all naturally go together. And they're really well done. So the four chapters, basically the first one is just basic RPG game advice for a dungeon master. And it's not even specific to this rule set, although it does sort of lean towards running a Pope game and uh, keep keeping your sort of thoughts on on that idea but it just makes sure that you understand that you get that social contract understood by your players and how to make sure that your players have a chance to do something cool in a session and and what to expect at the table that kind of thing the other section uh, following that is about creating your own post-apocalyptic setting I didn't use it but there's really good stuff to mine from that section it gives you ideas about here you need a location really fast you come across a city what's in it uh, gives you you know locations and factions which are great that you can just pluck them wholesale right out of the book but it also sort of gives you an idea of what a template for a city might look like here are the things you might want to know about it if you were to have to create your own so you can take it and hack it up as much as you want or you could use it wholesale right out of the book that's locations and factions in there and and advice for building your own setting the next section for gms is uh basically the bestiary uh it has 21 non-player characters types that you could come across either friend or foe Um, it also has 17 natural creatures and five examples of mutated horrors those really are there at the end to show you a template of what a natural horror might look like and you can you know use it to to create your own and then the last section in there is the actual introductory adventure so i would argue that the gm section 
is probably also helpful for some of the players as well, with the exception of if you're going to run that adventure, you wouldn't want them to read that. But I think a player too could benefit from um, just sort of understanding um, those those three other sections from from the book. As far as like decisions to make at the table, there's only a handful of things. So you understand that when somebody says, I want to do X, X is going to be one of those attributes and one of those skills, and you figure out which are applicable. We didn't really have a whole lot of challenges determining what those were. The next thing is you determine the difficulty. If you're not thinking much about it, they need one success. It's important to stress that Nathan's math he shared earlier, as is shared in the book here, is that if you're average, that's a 2 in the attribute and a 2 in the skill, you're going to succeed about 75% of the time. So there's also some advice on how to set difficulties. But you're not thinking about difficulties in the same as, like, should it be a difficulty class 15, or should it be a 16 or 17? All you need to know is it 1, 2, 3, maybe if it's really crazy, it's a 4 or a 5. That's about it. Just need to assign a difficulty to the wild thing they want to do. If it's particularly challenging, throw an extra difficulty at them. Those difficulty levels are difficult, a single success, right. extreme, Two, arduous. Three, for some reason, arduous to me feels feels less yeah. extreme. But there you go. But yeah, right. Me too. Uh, four successes is referred to as a tremendous difficulty, which <laughs> I think is very funny. And then number five is heroic. I don't know why, but tremendous feels bigger than heroic, and yet it's number four. But also, yeah. just the I was like, oh, that'll be really difficult. That's a tremendous difficulty. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just delightfully I'm pretty, goofy i'm pretty sure they just opened their thesaurus to hard hard <laughs> pick four things this is a titanic herculean difficulty <laughs> yeah very rarely would i expect to call them by name uh, but y'all just shout out eh, this one's pretty hard you're gonna need two successes for yeah, that. yeah but the other part is that you don't have to worry about any other fiddly bits i don't need to say my, your minus one die or your minus two skill point you just say eh, that's an extra difficulty so give me an extra success yeah. Yeah, I like the cleanness of the of the players knowing what they're trying for. You never know until you move away from it how annoying it is to be like to have to answer the question, "Do I hit?" Yeah, right. Oh, like so many times a game, it's like, no, you know, you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know if you succeeded or not. Okay, let's start to move towards uh, wrapping this up because we we all had a good time with this. It was a simple game and more fun than I was expecting. Honestly, when we started out, uh, you know, Popak, post-apocalyptic stories are not my favorite, but uh, I do like them quite a bit. Let's get the gather around the table here. So who is this game for? Trey, who do you think? This game, it's because of its plug-and-play nature, really. I think this game is for literally anyone who's interested in Popak. I just love saying that word. Anyone anyone who's into it, because it can be any Popok world you want it to be. And it can be gritty and very serious. It can be silly. It can be any number of things, you know, really. It's also for some, for, for, for a group who they don't want to be too challenged by their die rolls, you know? It, yeah. it when when you do damage with a weapon, your weapon does static damage. You don't roll damage dice. Like my machine gun, each shot did 12 damage. If I hit someone, it does 12 damage. And so if I get two successes shooting at someone, I do 24 points of damage. 
bam. <laughs> you know, they're gonna go down unless they've got good armor or they dodge or, you know, there, there are things you can do to mitigate it. But most of those things like fortune points are reserved for player characters and very important in PCs. Everyone else just goes up in a blaze of pink mist. So, and th that can be fun. It's very, it's very pulpy. It's gonna necessarily be pulpy. And that that's far from bad. No, not bad at all. Uh, Heidi, what do you think? Uh, so I was thinking about this. I think, think this <laughs> is good for anybody that's maybe in need of some rage therapy. <laughs> you know, you like you've, you've, yeah. heard, you've, you've heard of those like rage rooms where people can go and just like break stuff, you know, and just work out some aggression and whatever. This for me is I'm clearly not physically, but mentally, that it's that kind of equivalent for me. It's like, like I said, in real life, I'm, you know, like, I'm much more timid, right? So this feels like really fun to try on somebody who's just kind of a badass for, you know, a few hours once a week, right? I like it. Yeah, and I have always felt that that is an underappreciated aspect of RPGs. It's like, yeah, okay, somebody wants to get to be the bard and... And, you know, courtly intrigue and all that sort of stuff. But sometimes you just want to kill some freaking orcs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or some, some punks with their stupid bikes and their missile weapons. And yeah, and their mohawks. Yeah, right. exactly. Uh, Adam, who do you think this is for? Uh, I think this game is for a group who wants a purpose-built Popak RPG. So as I agree with everything that Trey said, and it's pulpy, it's cinematic, and you could 100% play this game with Savage Worlds or GURPS or some other universally applicable role-playing game system. If you want a purpose-built Popak RPG with a rule set designed specifically for that setting, this is the rule set for you. Fair enough. Nathan? Um, the obligatory, I'll echo everything said in front of me, but I'll also add on top of that, I think this game is for people that want the lethality of an old-school RPG. RPG, by which I mean there are weapons doing 12 damage and I have 16 hit points total, right? So there is a lot of lethality there and something, if it goes the wrong way, could totally murk. But the fast moving nature of what you kind of often consider a more modern take on the RPG, right? Rolling D6s and, and doing some quick math to figure out if you hit. So it moves fast. It's very pulpy, like some of the other some of the other RPGs we've already reviewed. But combines that with the immense lethality of an old school RPG. It's mean as, as nails for sure. I would say the person I think this is for is for the player or the GM who wants to try something new, because there is zero cost involved in this experiment, right? So you might, you might be thinking, if you're a player GM, you might be thinking, you know, I'd like to try something different, but my players are really invested in this game. I don't want to spend money on a game that they won't play. You know, if that's your thought process, or if you're a player who's like, I really want to try something new, but, you know, uh, you know, I know that my GM usually is the one who who buys new games. This game is free. There's no cost. And it is a full game. Don't need to buy anything else. You can all get started very, very simply. You can even, if you, you know, if you, if you've got either a printer at home or access to a printer at work that uh, you can, you can successfully mooch copies off of. You could just print it out, put it in a three-ring binder, and hand it to your GM and say, please, can we run something different tonight? Or, or you know, or next month or something like that. Zero cost for anybody involved. And I think that's great. I really like it. 
Uh, which is why I give this thing a pass. When it comes to, like, if we're going to give this thing a grade, I give this thing a pass. It doesn't get a high pass because, you know, again, it, it is kind of, there's some amateur things about it. And again, I don't know why we, we call it Atomic Highway and then we add mutants. I don't feel like those two things gel particularly well. But regardless, this is so easy to recommend. In comparison to the last Gallant Night games, and I realize this is just an imprint, but when we played Tiny D6 Supers, my complaint was there's not a lot to help me start a new game in this if I'm going to be the GM. This one, I can hand hand to a GM and be like, yeah, everything you need is inside. You can be ready to go. Nathan, Who? What, what's, your, what's your verdict on this? I'm giving this a high pass. Oh! Uh, I well. think you are absolutely right, and I agree. There are some things that do kind of like tick you around the edges, like maybe some editing issues in, in the book itself, maybe some thematic things that don't quite gel together. But ultimately, none of those things detracted in any way from my enjoyment of the game. It lets me play the exact game that I love to play, which is I love characters that are one step away from death at any given point in time. I love (laughs) characters that get to do really cool things. And this game uh, facilitates both of those things for me. And I really enjoy it. Plus, I I do also happen to enjoy post-apocalyptic. I'm sorry. Popak as a, uh, <laughs> Thank you. I also enjoy Popak as a uh, as a genre as well. So both in my fiction as well as my roleplay. Uh, Adam. Well, to part the veil for the listeners, we don't know what order we're going to be giving our grades in. And I really hoped I was going to go before Nathan because I thought he was going to give it a high pass. I too give it a high pass. (laughs) And for the same, for the same reason that Nathan did. And here's one of my rationales for it is I think what the world needs more of is more game masters. And I think this is a great, you know, case you were saying during your, who is this game for piece? I think if you were going to say, Hey, dungeon master of my fifth edition dungeons and dragons campaign, I'm going to give you a two week hiatus and I'm going to run a two session arc of a new game and give it a shot. I think it's it's great for new GMs as well because there's so few moving parts and a lot of the excitement and onus of responsibility for determining successes on the players. It frees you up just to tell a story and the framework for those rule sets. For me, high pass. No, I think that's perfectly fair. Heidi? I'm going to give this baby a high pass too. I liked it. I am. I'm doing it. I went there. High pass. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, I, 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 again, I'm, I'll echo... What you guys are saying, yeah, there's a few things that are kind of like, okay, that's a little weird. But man, who doesn't love to blow stuff up and just have good, campy fun? It just, you know, from that angle, I just really enjoyed it. You know, I don't know how long you could play a game like this. You know, again, it's it's very cinematic. So like a good movie, you don't want it to go on forever too long. You know, so I don't know how long you could play this game, but it sure is fun for like, I think, you know, a month or two, maybe, I don't know, maybe a few months. I I think you could do it. So yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Just really good, campy fun. And for me... Like I said, I was sick for a couple of these. Uh, I was out for a couple of these sessions, virtually chiming in, and it was easy enough that I didn't have any issues with that. I didn't feel disconnected or at a loss. So I thought that was, you know, just another way to say, hey, this game, if you have the basic stuff down, you're good. 
you really can pick this up and you can play it without any too many problems, you know? So yeah, high pass. And Trey. Don't you I dare. <laughs> I love how like Heidi gets like if you if, if she thinks you're gonna come down on your, your game, you're like she gets real protective. Very mother hinnish. That's right. The axe is coming out here. Yeah. Unseen me from the nave to the chops. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the editing gaffes and whatnot hurt it a little more in my view than it did in some of the others. I kind of agree with you, Case, as far as that, con- that that's concerned. It felt like a first edition to me. So I'm giving it a pass instead of a high pass, but awful darn good. And again, the fact that it's free, you can't argue with that. You know, the none, none of the little things that I noticed bothered me enough to override that. It's not like any other free product I've ever seen. It's, it is, the production values are high in spite of the fact that maybe they could have used an ed- another editing pass. And it's just a, you know, it's a fun game and you can, you can make of it what you want. So in spite of the fact that I'm only giving it a pass, I'm still recommending it very highly. There's no reason not to try it. No reason not to try it. There's no reason not to play it. Although, yeah, for a minute there, I thought, oh man, this is like that Star Wars thing again. I'm, I'm surrounded by people who think more I was more really hoping you'd be the old grumpy guy again, but no. Yeah, yeah. Well, now, now you've got two. You. Yeah, yeah. Two I'm there for you, guys. buddy. Two grumpy guys. And we did not have to look that far and spent only about 20 minutes trying to interpret the rules for grappling. You know what's funny is I com- kind of completely forgot I had actually grappled somebody <laughs> until we were recording this, and then I was like, "Do I do I bring it up, or does that kind of like does that take the wind out of the sails for the end?" I don't know, uh, so, so I left it out. Well, the funny thing is, I have been like, "Oh, I guess the podcast is done. We're done now." <laughs>